Hello, this is Snigdha from Newslaundry.com bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Sunday, the 8th of November. India's COVID-19 tally surged past the 8.5 million or 85 lakh mark today. Over 45,000 new coronavirus cases and more than 550 COVID-related deaths were reported in the last 24 hours. The nationwide death toll now stands at over 1.26 lakhs. The total number of people who have recovered from the virus, however, has also increased to over 7.8 million or 78 lakh. This has pushed the country's COVID recovery rate to 92.49%. Moving on to some coronavirus-related updates from different states, despite the warning of a second wave, the Education Minister of Maharashtra, Varsha Gaikwar, announced the recommencement of physical classes for students of Standard 9 to 12 after Diwali. She also added that classes would start with all COVID safety protocols in place. Maharashtra Chief Minister Udhav Thakre, who was also present in the video conference with Gaikwar, said, and I quote, We need to be extra cautious after Diwali. Quarantine centres in schools cannot be shut. The local administration can take decisions regarding alternative places for classrooms. Sanitization of schools, coronavirus tests for teachers and other precautions are a must. Unquote. Schools will reopen for higher classes in Maharashtra from 23rd of November onwards and RT-PCR tests to detect COVID-19 will be conducted on all teachers between November 17th and 22nd. The Brihan Mumbai Municipal Corporation or BMC has fined at least 2.26 lakh people across Mumbai for not wearing face masks in public places. Officials said that fines amounting to 4.7 crore rupees have been collected during the pandemic. On Friday alone, the civic body penalised close to 10,000 people for not wearing masks and collected fines worth almost 20 lakh rupees. Each person is fined 200 rupees for not wearing masks in public places. The state government of West Bengal, in order to contain the COVID death rate, has started phoning elderly patients with comorbidities who are in home quarantine. This is being done to keep a check on them. At 1.86%, West Bengal has the second-highest COVID death rate in the country after Maharashtra's 2.6%. A fortnight ago, the health department of the state had launched a 24-hour call centre to ensure timely hospitalisation of elderly coronavirus patients if they face any health complications. The decision came after multiple reports suggested that a large proportion of COVID-related deaths were due to late admission to hospitals. Delhi Health Minister Satendra Jain, meanwhile, has said that the national capital has hit the peak of the third wave of COVID-19 and the number of cases suggests that it is the worst so far. He said that new hospital beds were being added, but there was no plan to rope in hotels and banquet halls yet. He also added that the number of cases would soon come down. The recently constituted Gupkar Alliance in Jammu and Kashmir, comprising seven regional parties, including National Conference and People's Democratic Party, is set to enter the Union Territory's politics. It announced the unanimously taken decision to jointly contest the upcoming District Development Council elections in the Union Territory. Polling for the newly conceived District Development Councils will begin on 28th of November and will take place in eight phases. Each council will comprise elected members from 14 territorial constituencies. The decision of the mainstream parties to contest DDC polls is likely to open up political space after almost 15 months since Jammu and Kashmir's special status was revoked. Chairman of the People's Conference and Gupkar Alliance spokesperson Sajad Lohn said, and I quote, Despite the abruptness of timing and the suddenness to complete everything within one month, we have unanimously decided to contest these elections unitedly. Unquote. 
He added, and I quote again, This is the most sacred space in democracy and we will not allow it to be murdered or molested. Unquote. This is a first in Jammu and Kashmir's electoral politics where the major mainstream parties, including long-standing rivals National Conference and People's Democratic Party, have buried their differences and come together. The party said that this had been done to prevent the BJP from invading the mainstream political space. The National Conference and the PDP had not contested the municipal and panchayat polls under the governor's rule in 2018. So, the current decision to jointly contest the DDC polls comes as a surprise to both the political leadership and people of the state. The BJP, in response to the formation of People's Alliance for Gupkar Declaration, has said that the alliance wants to disturb peace in Jammu and Kashmir. The BJP's National General Secretary Tarun Chug said, and I quote, The Gupkar gang is hell-bent on disturbing the ongoing peace and development process in the region. BJP will completely expose the Gupkar gang. Unquote. He also added that the Prime Minister Narendra Modi had meritoriously framed guidelines to bring modernity and development in the region. According to Chug, this was not taken very well by these parties who he described as political opportunists. Breaking a four-year record, cases of stubble burning or farm fires in Punjab have crossed the 57,000 mark. The state recorded over 57,600 field fires till Saturday, that is November 7th. The numbers are comparatively higher than last year when Punjab had recorded 55,210 stubble fires in the entire paddy harvesting season. The number has already breached the four-year record and the harvesting season is yet to finish. This surge has happened despite the state's provision of 74,000 stubble management machines, the formation of various commissions and committees and the appointment of 8,000 nodal officers. Like the last four years, Sangroor is at the top this year as well, with more than 7,000 cases of farm fires so far. The state government fines the farmers for stubble burning each year, as this is a major cause for air pollution in the northern states of Punjab, Haryana and the national capital. Data from the Punjab Pollution Control Board showed that fines amounting to more than 2.05 crore rupees were imposed on farmers this Kharif season. This was done for over 7,700 cases of stubble burning in the state until November 6th, out of which 4 lakh rupees have been recovered so far. Yesterday, the central government's air quality monitoring system, SUFFER, estimated that around 32% share pollutants in Delhi's air, which has been severe since the last three days, was from farm fires in Punjab, Haryana, Uttar Pradesh, Uttarakhand and other neighbouring areas. Agriculture department officials have claimed that stubble burning has been harder to control this year due to the ongoing farmers' protests over the new agriculture laws. Talking about the new agriculture laws, a new development has also taken place in the ongoing exchange between Punjab government and the Indian Railways over the resumption of train services in the state. A delegation of Punjab MPs met the Union Home Minister Amit Shah yesterday. Train services in the state have been suspended since September 24th due to farmer groups protesting on train tracks and station premises against the centre's new farm laws. A Home Ministry official said that the MPs informed the Home Minister about the prevailing situation in Punjab and the problems arising due to the suspension of train services. Union Railway Minister Piyush Goyal also attended the meeting. Post the meeting, Congress MP Jasbir Singh Gill said that they were hopeful that the train services on the affected routes would resume soon. He also told reporters that the Punjab government would now hold discussions with the railway ministry. The suspension of railway services has led to a shortage of essential supplies in the state. Punjab and the railways have been at loggerheads about the resumption of services. 
While the railways have claimed that the protests are disrupting their services, the farmer unions in the state have said that they will let the trains run smoothly with the exception of passenger trains. A 50-year-old man was allegedly beaten to death for objecting to his daughter's molestation in Uttar Pradesh's Deoria district on Saturday. Two people have been arrested while the main accused is absconding. Police have lodged an FIR against eight people. According to the complaint, Bhola Prasad's daughter was sitting outside her home in Ishwarpura village when Manish, a guest of their neighbour Ramashish, harassed her on Thursday. Her father then confronted him and slapped him. The Deoria District Additional Superintendent of Police said that the accused man left, but around 30 minutes later, he came back with more people armed with sticks and weapons. The men beat up the father and ran away. He added that the accused and the victim knew each other and their houses were just a few metres away. The father suffered critical injuries and was rushed to Deoria Sadar Hospital. He was later shifted to Gorakhpur Medical College. From there, he was referred to a Lucknow hospital and he succumbed to his injuries on Friday night on the way to the hospital. Increasing incidents of brutal gender and caste-based crimes from the state of Uttar Pradesh have left the entire country shocked. It was September and the villagers of Singhai area in Uttar Pradesh's Lakhimpur Kheri had just begun to feel relief from the scorching summer heat. Savita laid her two-month-old baby down on a cot, covering him in a brown sheet to keep the flies from disturbing his afternoon slumber. She brought out a girl's yellow dress, a Barbie doll, a stuffed toy, a blue plastic elephant and shuddered as she placed them down by the baby. This is all I have of her, she said as tears rolled down her face. Will you ever tell your son about Nitya? I will have to, she replied. Nitya, Savita's three-year-old daughter, was found murdered in a sugarcane field not far from her home on September 3rd. The postmortem revealed that she had been raped. Two days later, based on the testimony of Nitya's father, the police arrested Lekram, who lives in the same village. This was an excerpt from my colleague Nidhi and Akanksha's latest ground report from Lakhimpur Kheri about the rape and murder of a three-year-old girl. The report details how the issue has now sadly become tangled up in a family dispute. To read what happened, do check out the ground report on newslaundry.com. It is titled, Lakhimpur Kheri, Case of Three-Year-Old's Rape and Murder Gets Mired in Family Dispute. The Chief Minister for Sam Sarbananda Sonawal spoke to Union Home Minister Amit Shah over telephone yesterday, informing him about the Assam-Mizoram boundary dispute and the steps taken by the state government to solve it. He requested Amit Shah that the centre take necessary steps to maintain peace and harmony in the boundary areas. He also assured the Home Minister that the state government would follow the directives of the central government in managing the situation. An explosion allegedly caused by miscreants from Mizoram damaged a primary school building near the interstate boundary in Assam's Kachar district on Saturday. This prompted the Chief Minister Sonowal to speak to the Union Home Minister. An Assam police official said that there had been three blasts during a 12-hour band called by a student's organisation. The organisation was protesting against the abduction and killing of an Assam resident, allegedly by attackers from Mizoram. While the Assam officials said that the school falls under Assam's territory, the Mizoram government has said that it condemned the act on an educational institution within its boundaries. Tension has been prevailing along the Assam-Mizoram border since October 17th after miscreants damaged 18 temporary hutments and three dwelling units. Following this, several rounds of talks took place between top officials of Assam, Mizoram and the central government. And now for some international updates. COVID-19 has infected more than 49.9 million people around the world and killed at least 1.25 million. 
The United Kingdom's most senior military commander has said that the economic fallout during the coronavirus pandemic has made the prospect of a third world war a risk. General Sir Nick Carter, the chief of defence staff, made the comments when asked by Sky News whether he feared the global economic crisis brought on by the coronavirus could lead to a war. He replied saying there was a worry that the growing regional conflicts around the world could escalate into a full-blown war, similar to the run-up to the two world wars in the 20th century when a series of alliances between countries led to years of bloodshed. The senior official argued that with the world being a very uncertain and anxious place during the pandemic, there was a possibility where you could see escalation lead to miscalculation. US President-elect Joe Biden, meanwhile, has said that he will appoint a team of leading scientists and experts as transition advisors to start work immediately on a COVID response plan built on a bedrock of science. Meanwhile, the US has confirmed over 126,000 new coronavirus cases on Friday. It is the third day in a row that the US has reported a record-breaking number of COVID-19 cases. Closer to home in neighbouring Myanmar, polling opened this morning despite the pandemic. Aung San Suu Kyi, who remains a hero at home in spite of her marred international reputation due to the Rohingya crisis, is expected to return to power. The election will just be the second since the Southeast Asian nation emerged from nearly half a century of Janta rule in 2011. Five years ago, Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy, or NLD, won a landslide victory but was forced by the constitution into an uneasy power-sharing agreement with a still mighty military. This time, the civilian leader, in a bid to maintain an absolute majority, has implored citizens to overcome their fears of the pandemic and turn out to cast their ballots. Moving on, in his first speech as the president-elect of the United States, Democrat Joe Biden, saying it is time to heal the US, has vowed to unite the country. At an event in Delaware addressing those who did not vote for him, Biden said, and I quote, Let's give each other a chance, unquote. Biden defeated incumbent President Donald Trump following a nail-biting vote count after Tuesday's election. Biden, who has won more than 74 million votes so far, the most ever for a U.S. presidential candidate, hailed the diverse support he gathered during the campaign and thanked the African-American voters in particular. But he also reached out to Trump supporters directly. He said, and I quote again, It is time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature and see each other again, listen to each other again. And to make progress, we have to stop treating our opponents as enemies. Unquote. Trump being Trump, however, has refused to formally concede the US election on Saturday, even as senior Republicans began to distance themselves from him. Before the race was called, Trump continued to tweet his defiance and to attract censure on Twitter for making baseless claims about voter fraud and his supposed victory. He also went to his course in Virginia to play golf. While he played, an obstinate-sounding statement was issued in his name. It said, and I quote, The simple fact is this election is far from over. Joe Biden has not been certified as the winner of any states, let alone any of the highly contested states headed for mandatory recounts or states where our campaign has valid and legitimate legal challenges that could determine the ultimate victor. Unquote. None of what Trump alleged has been proven to be true. Nonetheless, Republican legal challenges in key states are set to continue. The result makes Trump the first one-term president since the 1990s. His campaign has filed a barrage of lawsuits in various states, but election officials say that there is no evidence that the vote was rigged against him, as he has claimed. Spontaneous celebrations erupted in major cities after media outlets announced Biden's victory on Saturday. Disappointed Trump supporters demonstrated in some cities, but there were no reports of any untoward incidents. 
And now for some homegrown stuff from Newslaundry.com. This week on News Laundry Hafta, Abhinandan Sekri, Manisha Pandey and Mehraj Lone were joined by Arfa Khanam Sherwani, senior editor at The Wire, to discuss Arnab Goswami's arrest, the France and Vienna attacks and the Bihar Assembly election. Here is a short audio snippet from the conversation. Uh, something more I want to say is that if people are calling it political vendetta and if we are to believe it is one. So he is a politician. What he is doing is politics. It's not journalism. So maybe I would stand up for Arnab Goswami as much as I would stand up for a politician. I do not. I find it an insult to be in the same line, the same breath. His and my name should be taken that we both are journalists. If what Arnab Goswami does is journalism, I will leave. I quit journalism today if this is what journalism is. Head to newslaundry.com to listen to the complete podcast. And while you're at it, do check out our spanking new website with the new native podcast player. Click on the mic button on the top right of the website to find out what I'm talking about. Also, dear listeners, might I request you to hit that subscribe button as well? As most of you are aware, News Laundry is a 100% ad-free news platform and we really need your support to stay independent. Thank you in advance. That's all for today. Have a great day or a good night, depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel.